early church leader James says this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But turn on the TV, do a quick scan of the latest news, or look at the tendency of your own heart, and it is clear to see that we often act in the exact opposite way. Anger comes easily. We speak quickly and carelessly, and the patience to listen and understand is, at times, hard to find. But the challenge of our faith in Jesus remains. In a world where it seems everyone is tearing each other down, we are called to be builders of God's better world. Good morning to everybody here in the well. Good morning upstairs to the Well Cafe. Uh, it's good to be in church with you as it is always. Just a beautiful day, beautiful Sunday. Good to be here uh, in worship. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Johnny, and I serve as one of your pastors here at First Methodist Mansfield. Uh, and if, if this is your first time, or maybe your first time in a long time, I would love the opportunity to meet you uh, immediately following the service. So I hope to find you and say hello. If you brought your Bible with you, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, so you can start turning or clicking away to, to find that in your Bibles and however you brought that Bible with you today in church. If you're having trouble finding it in your paper Bible, uh, it's in the New Testament. So again, one of those small books. Uh, it's after Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. It's right, right in there. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, we have some blue ones provided in, in all of our worship spaces. If you're using that blue Bible, you can find Ephesians chapter 4 on page 18, 18. Now, last week, uh, we started this brand new series that we're calling Be a Builder. And in this series, uh, and in that first message, we really wanted to begin by highlighting, highlighting the call on each of our lives, or at least those of us that um, have committed ourselves to being followers of Jesus, the call on our lives to be builders of God's better world. And we do that as, as people of faith, as those that have committed our lives to following Jesus. We do that in a number of ways, uh, none the least of which are through acts of service uh, and, and, for, and through teaching, uh, the way we model our lives, sacrificial living. But in the context of this series, we wanted to look specifically at the words that we speak into each other's lives. Uh, I acknowledged last week that uh, the timing of this series is no coincidence. Uh, that with what's going on in our world, what's going on in the news around us, uh, with the approach of a major election, that the, the rhetoric, uh, the conversation, the words that are being used aren't always the most helpful. The words that we see used by others, and also the words that we might be tempted to share with one another uh, in the midst of a season like this or at any point in our life uh, that might fall short of that high calling uh, to be a builder. They are often words that we use in conversations and in, in disagreements and in conflict that are not uh, geared toward our call to be builders, but rather uh, are um, more about our impulse that we have to tear down rather than build up. So uh, in last week's message, I share with you a very direct command that the Apostle Paul gives uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, listen to how Paul uh, expresses this high standard for our lives. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I hope you can hear in these words Paul's high ambition, his great ambition for our lives. 
that the only things that we might say, the only way that we might use our words with one another are, are, are things that would speak life, that would be useful and helpful for building each other up rather than our tendency to tear down. This week, what I want us to do is take a little bit of a step back from that scripture that we looked at, uh, Paul's call to each of us as people of faith, uh, as individuals uh, to build up. But I want us to step back and look at Paul's world, to look at the call that he has uh, for all of us. What I want us to do is uh, talk a little bit about, uh, talk a little bit today about our call to build the body. Now, I know you're really excited because today we're really going to be answering all those questions that you have been wondering about protein intake, the type of exercise routines that you need to do, what supplements you should be taking, the type of stretching should you stretch before or afterwards. I know these are all the questions you've been asking. I know you're super pumped. I know Arnold's pumped, uh, literally. So uh, we're, no, we're not going to be talking about any of that. Of course not. We're, not. we're not talking about building our physical bodies, but rather we are talking about Uh, building the body of Christ, the body of believers, community of faith, the church. And we'll hopefully be addressing some of the questions that you may have been asking, maybe you've asked before in your life, or maybe somebody has asked you. We're not going to answer these questions directly, but if these questions have uh, been on your heart and in your soul and your mind, uh, you might find some of the answers, or at least uh, the path to finding some of the answers to these questions. Like, what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ and, and why is it so important to be connected to a church? And, I mean, to be a Christian, do I really need to attend church? I mean, can't I be a Christian even if I don't go to church? If you're asking these questions yourself, I'm glad you're here. Uh, maybe you're not asking those questions at all, but I guarantee you somebody you know is asking those questions. So, uh, with that, let's dive into our scripture today, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, as we do that, something that I think is helpful to know about the Apostle Paul is that Paul uh, was writing and living in the first century in and around the Roman Empire. He was both Jewish and he was a Roman citizen. And for the first part of his life, Paul dedicated uh, himself to uh, eradicating, erasing uh, this, this new uh, group that was forming, this, these people known as Christians, until one day he himself had an encounter with Jesus. Then he rededicated his life to building up and encouraging these new communities of faith that were popping up everywhere, these churches that were growing and that were forming in and around the Roman Empire. Now, much of that encouragement and instruction that Paul would share with these churches, he did through writing letters. And he would write letters to these churches and, and, and address specific issues, and that's what we have preserved for us in our Bible today. That's not the whole Bible. Not, the whole Bible is not Paul's writings, but very much of the New, uh, the New Testament are these letters that Paul wrote to these churches. And they were all written to very specific churches. That's how they got their titles in the Bible. For example, uh, when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, that's how we get the book of Ephesians, right? It's that letter that Paul wrote that we have preserved for us in our scripture. And, and these were letters, even though they were written for specific churches, were often shared among churches because the content was so helpful. I mean, it's helpful for us even today at First Methodist Mansfield at this church. The Mansfieldians, I don't know how we would uh, call that book of the Bible. Uh, but he did. He, he, they were shared, but they were written to these specific communities for their unique needs, their unique uh, questions and challenges and problems. 
But as you read through Paul's writings, if you read through all of those letters, you will find out, you'll find all these little specific and unique needs that he is addressing in these letters, but you will also begin to see uh, these themes that pop up again and again that are not unique to those churches. These themes that continue to pop up that Paul uh, addresses with these various churches, uh, common challenges uh, that these churches face. Uh, there are tensions and conflicts uh, that persons of faith and the churches that they uh, belong to face in their world. There's a friction when their faith collides with the world and the culture around them. What we find out is that Paul's world is full of anxious people. Paul's world is full of people that are anxious about their safety. The first century was not a very safe time to be a Christian. It was actually quite a dangerous time. Paul knows this himself very well because he used to be the persecutor, right? That was his job. That was his mission in life was to make sure that this new community, these new people of faith did not advance anymore. And then after his conversion, when he became a Christian, he experienced that persecution himself. A lot of these letters that he writes that we read today to these, to these churches, he wrote from prison. Paul experienced that same persecution. Even in these times, late first century, uh, that the, the Roman emperors, the Caesars at the time, would often capture Christians and use them for their entertainment, throwing them into the Colosseums, uh, sometimes even having them burnt at the stake. I mean, it was a dangerous time. To be a Christian, and that would raise a lot of questions with this new community of faith. While they felt this new life and, and, and they felt this longing and this desire to be together and to grow and to, and to build each other up, they also felt this tension that it was really dangerous to do that. Now, they weren't specifically hunted down uh, by the, the empire, but they definitely weren't safe. They were definitely persecuted. And so there are questions about what does it mean to be a people of faith and to, to desire to be together, even if it's not safe. Uh, there was a fear of what ha might happen to them if they meet regularly. But Paul's world was full of people that were also anxious about their faith. See, these early churches, many of the people that came to these churches uh, had different religious backgrounds in their history. And many of them didn't completely abandon those religious backgrounds. Some were Jewish, some were pagan, some were, uh, you know, all different kinds of religions. But they were all coming to faith in Jesus and then figuring out what that past faith meant with this new faith, with this new way of life. And that presented all of its own challenges because now you have uh, a church, these, these communities full of people with differing backgrounds wondering what it means to be faithful. And they might disagree with each other about what faith means and what it means to believe the right things and to act the right ways. And they might have discussions and disagreements about that. But not only that, the people outside of the churches, the people that had no intent on being followers of Christ. People that had no intention at all of becoming Christian were challenging those, this, these new people of faith, challenging their knowledge, challenging their behavior, challenging them not, not to strengthen them, not to build them up, but rather to tear them down, to shake them off their foundation, to prove them wrong, to create more anxiety. Paul's world is full of anxious people. It was very hard to be a Christian uh, when it was first beginning and, and Paul was writing. And part of what Paul is addressing here uh, in this part, in this section of uh, Ephesians 4 that we're going to be looking at are some of those anxieties. So let's, uh, let's get going here. Ephesians chapter 4. You can follow along with me beginning in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, see, 
then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How do we do that, Paul? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We'll pause there. I wanted to begin with that because I want us to see how Paul is echoing again in a very different letter to a different church the same sentiments that we were discussing last week. Two things. The first thing is this, that you have, as a follower of Christ, you have been called to live differently. There's a way of life that you live that is a counter uh, to what is accepted or expected outside in the former life. There's a new life that you live as a follower of Christ that defines you. And the second thing is this, that these churches, while the church is made up of different people from different places, there's a common denominator. There's a common denominator, and that is Jesus. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. In other words, that divi- the divisions that separate us in life, the divisions that existed uh, in the ancient world when Paul's writing, and the divisions that exist Today in our modern world, these artificial things, these divisions that, that separate us uh, from each other, the cultural differences, maybe the things that we can see, maybe our, our, our gender or our race or our, the tax bracket in which we reside, uh, the things that we use in this world to divide us uh, and to separate us uh, are no longer relevant because in Christ, all of those are set aside. All of those things are set aside. In Christ, we have now been brought into full unity with one another. Now, I want to add, which is, which is tempting to think uh, when we say something like this, uh, that, that unity doesn't necessarily mean uniformity. In fact, it doesn't mean uniformity at all. It doesn't mean that all these differences that we described completely go away. Those differences still exist. But as we grow in Christ and as we grow in that unity, those, th- those things, those differences will no longer divide us. Rather, we are brought together by the one faith, the one Lord, and the one baptism. That common denominator unifies us over and above our differences. It transcends our earthly divisions. Uh, Verse 7. Actually, I'm going to skip verse 7 through 10. Uh, I'm a pastor. I can do that, I think. Uh, Paul goes on a bit of a tangent here, as Paul is prone to do. Here he digresses a little bit about what he means by uh, Christ ascended. He ascended. Uh, it's really good stuff, and I would love for you to read it later, uh, but it's not really relevant to our discussion here. He picks back up on his train of thought, though, here in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Why did he do that? He did it to equip his people for works of service. Why did he do that? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Pause there. So there are people with gifts, servants of the church. You might think of them as maybe pastors or staff people or or volunteers, people that are called to lead in the church, that are equipped, that are assigned with gifts to equip God's people, you and me, who show up to places like this, to equip God's people to serve so that the body of Christ is built up so that we may all, and when I say we all, I don't mean everybody sitting up in the loft and everybody here in the chapel. 
I don't mean everybody who's going to come and sit in a pew here at First Methodist. I don't even mean everybody who sits in a Christian church somewhere. When I say we all, we're talking about the world, everybody, that we may all reach unity and maturity. That's what Paul's saying here is that when we do all this, when we follow these steps, when, when we have people that serve in the church and that equip God's people to serve, then the body of Christ is built up so that we may all reach unity and maturity. What's the result of this? Where does this all lead, this unity and maturity? What, where does that take us? What benefit does that, does that hold for us here as we're connected together? Verse 14, it says this, Then, then, because of this maturity, because of this unity, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What Paul's getting at here is that there is something that happens when we are connected. Something deep that happens in each of us when we're connected. But that also means that there is something happens when we are disconnected. When we are not connected to one another. When we don't share deep connections. When we are left alone and our faith is left alone to fend for itself. It becomes vulnerable. Paul describes it as an infant faith. He juxtaposes that against the word mature. There's an immature faith. There's an immaturity to our faith. It cannot develop properly on its own. It cannot protect itself on its own. It cannot feed itself on its own. Remember, there was this real temptation in the first century to not be together, to not grow together. And there was real reason not to. You can listen to the urging of the author of, of Hebrews. You'll find that in the New Testament as well. It's not written by Paul, but written by another author who uh, lived and wrote in the exact same time, late first century. Uh, says this in chapter 10, let us not stop meeting together as some are prone to do. Like this, this was a thing. People were, were scared to meet together. Some people didn't think it was necessary. Some people didn't see the point in it. They didn't understand that faith was beyond themselves, that it was shared with others. So they didn't have this sense that it was important to meet together. But as Paul does and as the author of Hebrew does and as many of the New Testament authors do, they urge people of faith to continue to be together because it's important. They know that there's danger involved in that, but they know that there's even more danger if they don't continue to meet together. Now, I'm a huge fan of scary movies. Anybody else like scary movies? Okay, we're like the two weird ones. That's great. Anybody upstairs? I, I know. I know I'm a weirdo. I, I, I love scary movies. I, I, I think they're so much fun to watch. I, I, I know they're terrible movies, and they're probably not written very well, and all that, if you're an actual movie critic in here, you're, you know, you're just shaking your head. But I, I love scary movies. I, I think they're absolutely fun. And I know even those of you that don't like them, you've seen them. And if you have seen any of these scary movies before, you recognize that in most of these movies, there's a little part in the plot that seems to always come up, right? There's a group of people, and, and they're wandering around. They're being terrorized by whatever, right? And, and, and one of their group goes missing. And then as they huddle together, 
and they're terrified, and it's dark, and they're wondering how they ended up in a horror movie, and what, what is this creepy house? Like, why, why are we here? What are the bad choices we made in our life that brought us to this place, right? Here we are, and, and they get around, and they're like, oh my gosh, we got to get out of here. What's the plan? Man, we can't leave Billy behind. We got to get Billy. Okay, got a great idea. We're all going to split up. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. Thank you. Let's all... Let's all be in this creepy house by ourselves instead of all together. And, and if you're like me and you're watching the TV, hey, you know it happens every time. But every time you think, that is the dumbest thing. Nobody would do that. Nobody would do that. I would be like back to back with everybody on a switch, like just, <laughs> we're just spinning in circles, ready to karate chop whatever comes out of the darkness. Like there's no way. If somebody said in my group, hey, we're going to split up and go look, like, nope, I'm just coming with you. Like, <laughs> I will not search by myself. You wanted me to take the basement? No, thanks. <laughs> How about I take the road that goes that way? That's the one I'm going to search. <laughs> but, but it's ludicrous. You know it. I mean, because now they're all going to be dead, right? It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Remaining, remaining together is the smart move. And, and Paul, this is what Paul is getting at here. This is what the author of Hebrews is getting at here. That there, Of course there's danger. Of course it's hard to be a Christian. Of course you feel like there's some tension in your faith and there's tension with those around you. But it's precisely because of that fear, precisely because of that anxiety, that it is all the more important that you band together and you support one another and you encourage one another. If I were to boil down Paul's thesis in our scripture for today down to, to one simple, memorable, tweetable phrase, this is how I would do that. It's that mature faith is anchored in a community of faith. A mature faith is anchored in the community of faith. Notice how Paul, when he talks about an infant faith, when he talks about that, he uses nautical terms to understand what happens to us when we're not connected to the to community of faith. That the waves toss us back and forth, that the wind just blows us around in any direction, any trial, uh, any trouble in our life, any teaching that comes up that disagrees with what we've always come to know just tosses us around and our life's direction is changed back and forth. With no stability. But what Paul's getting at here is that if our faith is anchored in a community of faith, then our faith can mature because we do it together. Now, if your faith is anchored in a community of faith, does that mean that you won't feel the waves when they rise up? Does it mean that you won't feel the gusts of wind as they pick up and they blow around you? No. But if you're thinking of your life and, and your faith as, as that boat, and you are anchored in a community of faith, you are grounded in a community of faith, that the wind and the waves, you'll still feel them, but they will no longer dictate the direction of your life. They will no longer change the direction of your life at a whim. You will feel them, but you are able to weather that storm because you are anchored in that community of faith. And we need that. We absolutely need that. Because being a Christian is hard. Being a follower of Jesus is hard. It was hard when Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. And it's hard today. 
We may not face the same sort of persecution that first century Christians did. Our lives might not literally be in danger when we walk out of our churches because we're Christian. There are some parts in this world where that is very true. Being a Christian is actually hazardous to your health. But here we might not face that exact same danger, but that doesn't mean we don't face danger. That doesn't mean we don't face trial and trouble when you, when you commit to a faith that is counter to the culture and the world all around you. We need it. Being a Christian is hard. Being a follower of Jesus is hard. That's not to say that believing is hard. Believing and being a follower are two very different things. Believing has its own challenges, right? Plausibility and, you know, and things like that. It has their own challenges. But there are many people that would claim to believe. Claim to believe in God and claim to believe in Jesus, but lack the faith to follow Jesus in their life. So we're talking about two separate things, and I really want to talk about following. Following is even harder than believing, I think. But there's, there's some truth to the idea about this, this idea, right? I mean, you, you understand that this, it is hard. I know you feel this, that when you have claimed this ridiculous, this crazy, ambitious commitment, this responsibility to carry the light of Christ into the world, to live differently, to be a builder of God's better world, that we do still with the, with the understanding that, that way of life is often at odds with that world out there. That world is not evil. It's full of great things and wonderful things. But what is acceptable and what is often expected of just people in general, we are called to a higher standard than that. When it's become acceptable and even expected in some cases to tear others down to get your way, to be successful, we are called to a higher calling than that, to be builders instead. And that's hard. As one of your pastors, I want you to know that it's hard for me. I understand. I mean, being a Christian is hard. Living out my faith is hard. Being a follower of Jesus, when it would be much easier to not in some circumstances, is hard. But if it's hard for me, I mean, it's got to be incredibly hard for you. I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm a professional Christian, right? I, I work in the church, I'm surrounded by coworkers who may not be perfect, I'm not perfect, but we, we work in an environment that is really motivated by glorifying God, right? That's what I get to go to work to every single day, and many of you don't. Sure, you might have Christians at the office where you work, but it's not necessarily a Christian environment. I don't, that's, that's not a judgmental phrase, I just, that's just a truth. I want you to know that I understand that it is hard. I don't say these words lightly. That expectation that we place on us, the, com- the things that we commit ourselves to, to be a, a builder, to be a follower of Christ, is not easy. It's a full life, but it's not an easy life. It's hard. And why, if, if being a Christian, if being a follower of Jesus is so hard, why would we make it any harder on ourselves? Why would we make it any harder on ourselves and on each other by using words, by speaking to one another and treating one another in ways that just widens that gap between us? 
that thins out that bond that we share, that disregards that oneness that Paul talks about at the beginning of of chapter 4 of Ephesians. And why would we settle for not being deeply connected to one another? If it's hard to live out my faith, if it's hard to be a follower of Jesus, if it's hard to be a Christian, why would I settle for anything less than a deep connection with other people that have committed themselves to that same crazy thing? Why would I settle for coming to church once or twice a month, maybe, if other things don't get in the way? Coming and finding the same seat that I sit in every week and just hoping the band plays songs that I like and expecting that the, yeah, right? expecting that the preacher says something inspiring so that I can get through the next couple weeks of my life. I know that's none of y'all here up there for sure. Why, why would we settle for that? Why would we settle for something so thin? We need each other. What I want you to do uh, for the rest of you know, our time, the rest of our, your day, maybe even as you go into this week, is that I want you to begin to think about, if you, if you have your bulletin, there's space there for notes too that you can write on today or even tomorrow, you can keep that with you. But I want you to begin thinking about your connection to the body of Christ and what that means for you. Ways that you are becoming deeply connected, ways that you are anchoring your faith in a community of faith so that it matures so that it withstands the storms in your life, so it withstands the questions and the doubts. What ways are you doing that? For some of you, it's very simple. I just, you think to yourself, I just need to make church a priority. It's not a priority in my life right now. But I need to prioritize being here. I need to come and sit with other people. When we have our time where we get to greet our neighbors and say hello, I need that interaction with other people that are trying to live life trying to get through life, trying to to figure out how to be a follower of Jesus in this world where it is so hard. I need that. I do need to hear the songs that the band plays. I do need to hear a word from Scripture and from our preachers to be inspired. I do need that, and I don't get that enough. Maybe that's your next step. For some of you, that's that's already the norm. The church is the norm, and you're there, uh, but it's time for that next step deeper, to bury that anchor a little deeper so it is a little more firm, to grow in deeper connections and deeper relationship with those around you. And joining a small group, finding a Sunday school class, there's, there's plenty of groups around our church, and maybe that's, that's your next step, is taking that one more step deeper in relationship and connection to the body of Christ. And maybe, as Paul says, there are those that are sent to equip the people. Maybe some of you in this room that's time for you to now step into a leadership role. Maybe leading a Sunday school class or a small group. Leading people and and gathering people together who desire for that deeper relationship with God. I I remember, and and I still do this day to to some extent, when you hear that, you know, we need people to lead small groups, and you think, well, that's definitely not me. (laughs) You know, I'm not a Bible scholar. I I don't, you know, I can't, I'm not really all that outgoing. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't think I am equipped to lead a small group. I want you to know that leading a small group is, A, it's very significant in the growing of the body and the building of others um, that sit around you in church. But B, it doesn't require Bible scholars or great orators to lead a small group. Leading a small group is about a commitment to gathering people. 
gathering people together. Just, and we do that as, as humans. It's natural, right? Uh, we gather people together. We bring people together to sit around the counter, to sit around a table. If you can gather people together, if you have friends, you can be a small group leader. We have, one, we have a new series that we're, that's coming up in September, uh, one of our super series that we, that we shot the small group curriculum and we, and we write the, the leader's guides in-house. We're so excited about it. It's a perfect opportunity. If you've been thinking about it and you want to try it, that's the time. There's plenty of training. There's people that will come around you, that will surround you and support you. I'd love for you to do that. Because not only is that you yourself growing in your own deep connection, but you're helping to foster that connection of other people that are desperately needing that. And I pray that you might think about how to do that. Mature faith is anchored in a community of faith. Without that, we're sunk. It doesn't mean all your doubts and questions go away. It doesn't mean that all the trials and challenges of life go away. It doesn't mean the wind and the waves go away. But it does mean it does not get to dictate the direction of your life anymore. You are anchored in a community of faith. The body of Christ is not whole without you. And you are not whole without it. The church needs you. And I believe you need the church because we belong to one another. And the spirit of God that's at work in you is the same spirit that's at work in me. And when we come together, when we commit to be together, to grow each other, to support and encourage one another, that work that the Spirit is doing is magnified. So as we all seek to be builders of God's better world, as we all commit ourselves to being followers of Christ and that high calling to be builders, I pray that we might consider how we are building the body of Christ and anchoring ourselves in that community of faith. Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank you so much for your presence with us and the presence of everybody here today, God. We pray for all those that might not be here. God, that need your peace, that need your grace. God, that need the knowledge of your love and grace in their lives, in their life, God. Those that might say they believe but are, are disconnected from the body, God. And their lives, like a boat on a stormy sea, is just washed back and forth. God, we pray that they come and they become connected and they anchor themselves in this community of faith, God. For each of us here, as we seek to go deeper in relationship with one another and, and, and solidify that foundation to, to ground ourselves in each other, that we might mature in faith, God, that we might know you more. And that maturity of faith, God, might transcend the differences and the disagreements among us. The gaps that already exist between us, God, might narrow because of your love and the maturity that we experience by being connected with one another. We thank you, God. We pray for every empty seat in our church. Every empty seat because there is a name outside, God, that could occupy that seat, that could become connected here, that could grow, that we could reach out to, God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We pray that our lives reflect that every day.
your name we pray. Amen.